Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, and I'm not in Winterfell anymore. Uh, I'm not either. Although, you know what just occurred to me, uh, like literally yesterday or two days ago, Jay? Uh, So this week marks my seventh year as a podcaster. Seven years ago uh, this week. As a matter of fact, I think the 13th was when we released the first episode. So um, yesterday as as we were recording this. But uh, I'm basically, I've been a podcaster as long as Game of Thrones has been running. Like we're we're pretty congruent. Those two things happened right alongside each other. And I didn't really think about that at the time. Uh, but it, but it did. I, I lasted about as long as Khaleesi did. Um, interesting, interesting stuff. We're not going to talk about Game of Thrones this week. I we might, depending upon what they do next Sunday. You and my, you and I might talk about it a little bit next week. Uh, postscript, like we did for Endgame, uh, just because it is a big cultural moment. Um, well, they've made a lot of interesting content choices, and they have. I, I don't want to. I don't want to give too much of a spoiler away. This might be a little spoilery if you haven't watched. Fast forward like. A minute but they told us what they were going to do the entire way and i was watching going well they're not going to do that and then they did it <laughs> and it was yeah it's one yeah. of those things where it's like there's no way they're gonna do that and then they did it and you're like well they told me so i shouldn't have been surprised but i'm like <laughs> what the heck it um it, it was a little bit like um What's the uh what's what's the movie from um not not Christian Bale uh the Prestige uh yeah it's Christian Bale and um Hugh Jackman you know the beginning of the movie it says watch closely <laughs> and then he um there, there's a trick you know and he tells you exactly at the beginning of the movie what he's going to do for you and then he does it anyway uh it's it's um yeah I think there is something well we'll talk about that next week maybe uh let's talk about this let's talk about podcasting this week, Jay, and focus on the business of podcasting. We hinted at it last episode. There was a new company in play uh, making a few waves called PodFund, and they say they're going to give you up to $50,000 to help you grow your show. The pitch is that they are running podcasts like startup businesses. They come and they say, you know, just like on Shark Tank, you go, here's my idea. Uh, I want $50,000 for 10% of the business, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Um, the PodFund team has raised $2.3 million in its seed round, which will go toward investing in creators that they think have the chops to build a successful podcasting business. Um, $2.3 million, if you had... If you had brought this article out a year ago, <laughs> would have been much more impressive than bringing it out now. I think that doesn't seem like a whole lot of investment when we know companies like Luminary have, you know, a hundred million to throw around, and companies like Spotify still have what I think they've got another hundred and fifty or two hundred million left that they say they're going to spend still. Well, this is by the Radio Public folks. All right, the same people that brought you Radio Public are bringing you Pod Fund, um, and it's geared for sm- I want to say smaller podcasters, but it's not really smaller. It's the medium sized podcasters. This is something that back in the day when I was working at Blog Talk Radio before it merged with Spreaker to become Vox Nest, my boss Andy Toe used to talk about the middle class. He's like, we we're not necessarily looking for the higher reach podcasters. Obviously, if we talked to them and they were interested in what we were talking about, we were going to bring them on. Obvious that that's obvious. And we weren't necessarily looking at the lower class, but we weren't turning the lower class away either. There's always a diamond in the rough that you can find. And oftentimes you have to build a very large and I'm I'm using lower class. I'm not meaning that in an in a derogatory way just to know describe like size of audience type thing here and you need a lot large amount of them to find those diamonds but then there's a middle class and there has to be a middle class and ultimately what we did find in the four years that we did this is that that middle class really doesn't exist joel it doesn't exist or at least where we think the middle class is isn't where the middle class exists. You're either a very large podcaster or you're a low podcaster. And I'll bring it back to Libsyn who releases their stats and they just released um, the stats uh, this past week about where the median is. And the median number is 175. 
If you get 175 listens to your podcast, 50% get less and 50% get more. So technically, 175 is the middle class. Um, that is very telling to me because remember the number that advertisers are interested in it, at the very least is 10,000. So where are those shows? They don't exist, Joel, or very few of them do. And if you do have that 10,000, you usually are, you're getting way more than 10,000. And if you're getting way more, you've already been approached or you already have a deal with somebody that's out there that's monetizing your shows for you. So the question is, how do you take that middle class at 175 and grow it to 10,000? That's the million dollar question that if anybody has the answer to, you're going to become the savior of podcasting. Is that even possible? Like, so one of the it's things possible. that we talk about a lot, one of the things that we're going to talk about in a little while, Jay, is like, growing the overall listenership and and whether some of these new initiatives and new apps are actually growing listenership or whether they're just cannibalizing the current listenership of podcasting. We see the chart every year or we've seen it so far from uh the uh the uh the folks over there that are what what's what's your buddy that does the reports? Um Edison Research, Tom Yeah, Webster. Edison Research. They're gonna Hashtag they're gonna bromance. They're gonna shut off our podcast consumer next year. We're not gonna get mm. the the great report that we got this year no 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 we're still gonna get it we're just not gonna get we we won't get it on a quarterly basis like people who pay for it will we're still getting a we're still getting a podcast consumer once a year but there'll be less yeah there's gonna be less content that we've been like that share of ear specifically that type of content that's behind a paywall now so Hmm. we're not gonna get how much of the day does a podcast consumer spend listening to podcasts versus radio or whatever? That stuff is behind a paywall, but we'll still get a yearly report on the state of podcasting. Uh, that's very interesting to me. Edison did not make that clear, I don't think, in their in their language. Uh, but my point was this. That graph is growing, but it's growing slowly, and we think that's going to continue to grow like at a at a steady rate as people discover the medium and as the technology barriers lower. My question is, you say, okay, we're going to take those shows that have 175 listeners an episode and grow those up to 10,000. Some of those, I think it's possible. You have a creator who is pouring their heart and soul into a show and the show is great, but it takes them so long to do it that they can't put it out consistently. If you put a little bit of production help behind them, they could put it out consistently and grow their audience faster that way. Okay, great. There, there's an answer there. Maybe there's somebody that has a great raw idea, but they've got no journalistic background, no theatrical background, no storytelling background, et cetera, et cetera. So if you brought in an editor or a storytelling mentor, they could really explode with creativity and, and grow their audience exponentially. Okay. That makes sense. But the vast majority of shows, let's be honest, are, as Dave Jackson says it, two guys, one brain, right? Uh, mm. uh, Sharon, you know, it's two two buddies just getting it out. And to me, I think about 175 people an episode is all you should ever expect to have for that because it's literally like your buddies in a bar. Everybody gets together and we share a brewski and enjoy our, our evening. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is a beautiful no. thing that podcasting brings us. But I do wonder if even initiatives like this if we pitch it as you've just laid it out which was a very pretty picture but like is that giving the vast majority of those lower classes let's don't call them that let's call them hobbyists right those hobbyist podcasters that are hovering around that 150 175 per episode download mark are we giving them false hope that there is any future for them to make this an actual growing initiative or enterprise as opposed to just a hobby? There's nothing wrong with being a fisher, uh, you know, a fisherman, right? Uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, you don't have to make, you don't have to become a pro angler. Well, it it's that, it, see, you, you've worn a t-shirt for those who are listening to the podcast, which is all of you. Uh, Joel is wearing a t-shirt that says, y'all need Jesus. And so every every time I look at him on our Skype video, I, I keep I keep bringing up Jesus metaphors. But 
podcasting needs to have that come to Jesus moment mm. and understand the realities of what they're doing. The two guys with one brain show is only going to get so far. What are you going to do to make that content exceptional, going to make great content? And that's, we're going to talk about this even a little bit later on. When it comes to content, everybody thinks that their content is great. We put out great content. My content's fantastic. It's it's phenomenal. But is it really great? Like with a fine tooth comb, if you sat and listened to it, you couldn't nitpick anything out of it. Because if you can nitpick even just one item out of it, your content, I hate to tell you, is not great. It might be very good, but it's not great. I often talk about the three E's in podcasting. It has to educate, has to entertain, and it has to be emotional. You have to have all three of those things to have great content. Now, you can have very good content that doesn't have all three of the E's, and it could still perform extremely well, but it's only very good. It's not great. I think the definition of great really needs to highlight just how great your content really is. Well, we started the episode talking about Game of Thrones, right? Which is in a in a culture which is so fractured, we basically don't share anything to get. Like even the Super Bowl isn't really for everyone anymore like it was once upon a time. There's no well, it's network the Patriots TV. Invitational. <laughs> There's no network TV that brings us the MASH finale that literally all of America watches. We just don't have those moments anymore. In game is one actually Marvel Marvel's Avengers Endgame is one that it feels like literally everyone was there for. Game of Thrones is sort of like that too. You you have the few people who aren't watching Game of Thrones and who aren't into it at some level are so specifically opposed to it. They're part of the conversation as well. They're like, no, we're right here with you and we don't we still don't watch it. I never will watch it. Uh, and so I'm surprised for- too by the people that I see that don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> like you see the ratings for it. Well it's and then it's I'm like so complex. what you don't watch it? It doesn't that does I my brain doesn't even wrap around that. I, I do un- I do understand it because the storytelling along these you know seven seasons has been very thick and I think sure. a lot of people want their entertainment to be more lean back and uh, uh, Bill Simmons talks about it all the time right I, he can't keep the name straight on Game of Thrones he doesn't know he goes oh it's the dragon lady and it's the you know it's the dwarf guy and and it's the wolf boy and, you know and whatever and like he doesn't he doesn't know who they are and that's fine he's enjoying it on a different level some of us like really like the minutia but my point is even a show like that even a show that literally has the entire culture talking about it simultaneously which is so rare these days this season has really divided the fan base and i think overall will go down in the record books as one that was sort of a disappointment no matter how they stick the final episode and that's just because points along the way have risen so high they've put the bar so right. high for themselves because they did all of those ease. They and were took two weeks and took two years off. Yeah, well, and <laughs> like they, they raised two- the bar that high, took two years off, so everyone expected to them to reach the something bar even and more. Yeah, quite I mean, we honestly, we were basically promised. Probably we were basically promised point. six Avengers End Games. Right, we we right. were told we were going to get like six movies to finish this thing off, and it didn't really quite work out that way. And no. also. No one can be fully satisfied with where the story goes, right? Because we all all have our own headcanon on how this was all going to end up and who we wanted to win, et cetera, et cetera. So, but my my point there is you're never going to please everyone. And even a super successful team who has risen to those heights will then stumble to reach them again. That was my my point as far as like how we raise the bar, yes, but then also we have to understand that by raising the bar, like you're 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 going to end up shooting yourself in the foot at some point because you've raised the bar too you can't you can't jump it again you know anyway and what does this all have to do with pod fund it's that not only are they not going to deal with shows that are in that medium that 175 they're looking no. for shows that have proven success mm. so you can't even be a startup you can't be somebody that doesn't have a show and be like, well, I'm going to start this podcast. And like, no, they want a show that already has proven success. You've shown growth. You need this money to bring you to the next level. Basically, they're looking for that show. I'll just use a random number. I have no idea. This is not an actual quote. I've not spoken to the folks at PodFund, uh, at least in regards to PodFund. They're looking for a show that's at that 5,000 mark, let's say. And they're looking to 
get to that 10,000. They need this money. This money is going to help them double the size of their audience and get to that number that's going to help them be in that upper echelon where they'll be able to get bigger advertisers. And ultimately, the in taking that money, they're going to share in any revenues moving forward that will pay back the investor. Now, you also have to understand, and I understand this from watching Shark Tank all the time, is the investor is only going to give you the money if they think they can get the money back plus some. They're not just going to hand you $50,000 out of the kindness of their heart. And if they do give you $50,000, they're going to have to get that money back. So if you decide, you know what, I'm not going to make it to my goal, uh, I've had enough, I'm quitting, you're still going to have to pay that $50,000 back. So if you've taken all that money and you've invested it in, say, marketing, which I think is where a large chunk of that money should be spent, uh, and you don't reach the number that you're looking for and you decide you're going to call it quits, you better hope that you've got a bank account or a good attorney to help you uh, pay back the 50000 that you just took out as essentially a loan. That's basically how this whole thing is going to end up working out. And I think... In that manner, you're going to have a lot of failures. I I hope I hope PodFund is ready for the amount of failures they're going to uh, run into in this. And maybe that's why they only have $2.5 million and not $200 million. Very, very well said, yeah. I, I don't always agree with Todd Cochran, but he made a post or a comment on PodFund's story in one of the Facebook groups and said, you know, yeah, you want to stay up sleepless nights, bring on investors. That's a, that's a good way to give yourself uh, a hernia or a, uh, uh, you know, an ulcer. Um, folks, uh, let's move on to something that is more, I think, um, effective, more more actually impactful for podcasting at large, and that's IAB certification. Uh, the article that we're looking at is from Inside Radio. Um, growing momentum for IAB certification. Art19 and VoxNest are the latest to to join the certified list. Uh, of course, Blueberry was the first one to finish the certification process. Lots of companies are IAB compliant, and you're going to give us a breakdown in just a second, Jay, on what the difference there is. Tons of companies are IAB compliant, but the certification process, excuse me, yes, they claim to be IAB compliant, but the certification process means that IAB has gone in, tested, verified their processes, processes, and then actually like put the stamp on it that say, we agree with the numbers that are coming from this company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the IAB is a group that that was formed essentially to deal with major uh with major media but definitely saw the rise in podcasting and created a podcasting division uh pretty much anyone that's anyone i believe there's 25 companies that have representatives uh from the podcasting industry uh, obviously blueberry libsyn voxnest are all part of that uh, have representatives that are part of the iab now these people got together and they've formed different committees to discuss some of the things that need to happen in podcasting. Obviously, the biggest one is metrics. Uh, and that is essentially what the IAB deals with in terms of advertising, is advertising metrics and how do we deliver that. They they created um, IAB metrics version one, uh, which was sort of the compromise of all, because all 25 companies were counting their numbers differently. We talked about the Magic Pizza Shop a couple of episodes ago. Everyone had their different way of counting. The first version was a compromise of all 25 of those companies and exactly how to go about counting. That was effective to a point. Uh, they decided that it needed to become more effective, and then they released version two, which became an even more stringent way of counting actual metrics in regards to how to then take them and sell them to advertisers. Uh, IAB version two, I believe right now is the most current version that's available. And in that time period, almost every one of the companies claimed that they were IAB version two compliant. Well, the thing is, if you read IAB version two, it's very nebulous. There are some nebulous regions about what certain things might mean and how you can go about uh, counting those things in regards to the numbers that you present to your consumers. And because of that, there are still instances where you could be on one platform 
and you could get a certain set of numbers and transfer to another hosting platform and get a completely different set of numbers. Even though they claim they are IAB version two compliant and that's because the rules weren't that stringent. What certification is now doing is certification is setting up an independent third party to go in and audit your process from this, this third party will come in and be like, all right, show us how you're doing it. Give us the, the nuts and bolts and, Oh, this is wrong. You can't be doing this anymore. You got to take this out. Oh, this is perfect. This is, you got, you can continue doing this. Oh, this is, and they'll go in and they will completely certify. And once you get that certification, that means your numbers are a hundred percent compliant and I hate the fact that it's the same word, but it means that your numbers are now 100% compliant with the way, with the means and measures of the IAB, exactly the way that your numbers should be counted as put forth by the IAB. Now, where does that cause a problem? Todd has mentioned this a number of times, especially since it was basically just Todd at Blueberry and NPR who were certified previous to these new three. Uh, you uh, you didn't mention Wooshka. Wooshka, there's a bunch of company, and we're going to get into that too. Uh, for some reason, when the news first came out, everyone was talking about Art19, but nobody mentioned that Voxnest and Wooshka were, were also certified. And then on Monday... Um, Voxnest and Wooshka got a little bit more pub, but then Voxnest was the only other one that really got pushed and Art19 was repeated. And um and I'm and I wonder why everyone was talking about Art19 and not the other two. Um it's a little strange. I wonder if that has to do with the publicity or the PR companies behind that are working with those particular companies, but in any case, there are still companies out there that will claim that they are IAB version two compliant, but that does not mean that they're certified and their compliancy doesn't necessarily match with that of a certified company's numbers. And the reason why it's important is because when you're in a conversation with potential advertisers and you say that your numbers are certified, they mean more. The advertising companies right now are saying, well, no, this company says that they're compliant, so they're just as good as your certified numbers that you have to pay. By the way, it's not a it's not a small bill that you have to pay to become certified. Uh, and 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 Todd is like pulling it. You know, he doesn't have a lot of hair on his head anyway. He'd be the first to admit that. So I'm not saying anything derogatory again, but he's pulling even more hair out of his head because he's going in talking with these advertisers who are still believing these other numbers from these other platforms and those numbers happen to be larger than what the certified numbers are and those companies probably will never pay that bill to become certified because they don't need to at this particular point in time so as more and more companies become certified there'll be two things that will be happening one the numbers will be more trustworthy amongst everyone two the numbers are all going to be the same or should be fairly similar like we're talking maybe that that one to two percent, you know, when you get a poll and they say there's a one to two percent disagreement, it's going to be a much smaller. It's not going to be a 10 percent difference or 20 percent difference. Yes. It's only going to be a one to two percent difference between companies. Statistical anomalies. That's that's right. That's exactly what they mean when they say that um, to me. I think Libsyn is the one big, you know, leftover here. And we know that they've been in the compliance they are currently going whatever. right yeah they're, they're currently going, going through, through the certification, the certification. um but they were in at the same time as these other three which means which can only tell you one thing and that's they have a lot more work to do to reach the certification they have a lot more changes that they have to make to their current accounting system do you is it as simple as jay well no i mean that's not i started to say is it as simple as the fact that um they've been in it longer maybe than some of these others. So like Wooshka, for instance, is a fairly new company. Art19 has only been around a handful of years. Is it the fact that when they came in, there were already sort of the 1.0 standards in place, and so they didn't have a lot of cruft from older systems to overcome or or rebuild, et cetera, et cetera, whereas Libsyn's been in the game so long, they've been doing this a lot of different ways, and it's like we can't shut the system down while we build the new one. We just have to rebuild it in place, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, is that part of the deal? I don't know. I'm trying to give them a, an out. Blueberry's been in it just as long. 
So, I mean, the argument there, I suppose, would be that they're more nimble because it's basically a one-man company and he could, Todd can do whatever he wants to do, you know? Perhaps. <laughs> I'm... I'm not... I, I can't... I can... Anything that I say would be conjecture and it wouldn't... It wouldn't be fair to any company. Very, very to, good, very to, good. I was trying to, to put say, you on the spot there, honestly. To say um, to say anything about the conjecture, but the one thing I will say is that the one conjecture that I will say is that the certified numbers will most likely lead to smaller numbers for 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 people. And that they shouldn't be looking to, oh, well, my numbers changed. I've been lied to. I got to jump ship to another company because the, the I need bigger numbers. No, your audience is still the exact same as it's always been. You're just now getting a truer reflection of what the numbers should have been all along. The only reason why they were different is because of different accounting methods, different different ways to count the Magic Pizza Shop visitors. So my thoughts on how this is going to roll out is Libsyn has to do it. If they don't do it, they will bleed a lot of the big names to these other companies that are IAB certified or that have finished the process for 2.0. And so once they finish the certification process and are able to do it publicly, to me, if you look, you've got VoxNest there, you've got uh, uh, NPR, you've got Blueberry, and you've got Libsyn, that basically takes enough of the market over to that side. There may be a handful of small players that try to differentiate themselves through pricing or design or something like that that don't bother getting the certification, but it won't matter to the podcast industry as a whole because the vast majority of um, podcasters will be served by one of these companies that is. That's my. That's the way that I feel about it. There are an, uh, another. There's another list of companies that are currently going through the certification process, or have said that they are also going through the certification process. Like Simplecast, uh, I believe Podcast One was also going through the certification process at the same time as these companies. That's. By the way, if you're listening to the new media show and you're listening to this show and you're wondering what company they were referring to, it's Podcast One. Uh, I have no problem saying it's Podcast One. Um, Podcast One has notoriously, I mean, there's been stories about all the time where where Norm Pattis has pulled out a gun on his on his a counter and said, "Make sure the numbers say what they need to say." <laughs> that's just that's been written in in plenty of publications, whether or not. The story is true or not, it has been reported. We can cite a source. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Podcast One is definitely the company that Todd and Rob were discussing in the new media show this past week. Moving forward, there are other companies that are going through this. They just haven't finished the certification process. And I can tell you it takes a long time. Uh, Todd said that they started in January. I know that the certification, I know that at least the application to become certified had started at VoxNest at around the same time that I was let go. So it's been over eight months and they finally got the certif the certificate. Um, so it takes a while for this to actually go forth and actually become a IAB certified company. Uh, well, and I mean, it's a, I imagine it's still not an, I want to use the word evolving. I don't mean that. I don't mean that the standard is evolving, but I mean, this is the first time that this process has been finalized. These are the first round of companies still that are reaching this certification process. I think uh, the fact that it's taking a while should be understood. Um, but again, I, I think long-term, this next round of companies that come in will effectively give us the rest of the podcast industry as a whole will be covered. And the little bit of, you know, folks on the edge that might uh, stay as sort of outlaws in the wild, wild west. I just don't I don't think it's going to matter. I think the IAB certification will be the standard. And eventually we might get a 3.0 spec uh, uh, down the road, you know, to make it more refined. But again, I think everybody will do that basically at the same time. I think the I think the industry will walk in lockstep from here on out. Um, Jay, tell me a little bit about what's going on with Google Podcasts. Uh, the um, 
you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, or I think maybe in the last episode, actually, about how Apple has rolled out the Apple Podcasts web links now. Uh, and when you search, you can find your show a lot of times. You can click through and you can see it there with even play buttons to listen to individual episodes or go back to your website, et cetera, et cetera. This was the promise of Google Podcasts as well, that podcasts would be searchable and and surfaceable in searches for content and for, for information. Um, it's been slow rolling out, especially if you live outside of the Android ecosystem. Uh, but uh, Pod News, uh, James Cridlin had some info about what he's seeing uh, right now. Yeah, so they announced at their big meeting, I guess their version of what Apple does, that, hey, we're rolling this out. We're going to roll out podcast searching. We're going to make audio a, you know, a legit citizen in terms of search. And sure enough, like it was it was only like a week after that announcement that all of a sudden play buttons started showing up when you when you search for something in Google regarding a podcast. Now. There's been all sorts of weird anomalies towards why what's happening. So one, the top search result usually ends up being Apple, and it'll bring you to Apple to listen to the podcast, which is odd that Google would be promoting an Apple product. But apparently this is only – if you click on the individual episode, it's via Google. So the Google podcast platform. So it's going to be – there's going to be an interesting dynamic there between Google and Apple. Uh, in the long run, I think a lot of that has to do with, as we've been talking about the open podcasting space, if you just have your RSS feed and it's out there in the wild, um, obviously any search for a podcast, I think Apple is going to come up number one. It's the most relevant platform in regards to podcasting at this particular point, just based on the total number of listens and the total share of podcast listening at this current present day. Um, as things move forward, and and Todd mentions a lot of this, they they did a much longer and much more technical discussion about this on the new media show. And I would highly recommend you listen to what Todd and, and Rob Greenlee have to say about that. But you, you ultimately want to drive your audience to your owned and operated place, which is usually your website. If you have your own website, that's where you want your audience to find your podcast so that you're not necessarily dictating how they listen to your show, but you're controlling their experience a little bit more and you're owning uh, your audience more than by sending them to Apple or sending them to Google or, or whatever other listening place that they want to go to. I think all of this will get ironed out as things move forward. Uh, Nick Kwa in this week's Hot Pod actually makes a point of saying how there have been lots of fits and starts in regards to Google and Spotify and things that they've been doing. And while it may have appeared that like some things that they have done have been failures, they've actually been moments where they were able to sort of learn from what they had done and then make a new evolution. You brought that word up earlier to evolve what they were doing and improve upon what they were doing as they move forward. So we'll see. This is another positive step for podcasting. Now, if you search for podcasts, you're going to get a play button in that search. Thing is, is you got to search for a podcast. Like, so if, if you were to use mine for an example, uh, and I just search, well, actually, mine's probably a bad example. But James brings up a decent example of some, like, Fun Kids Book Club podcast, which, even though they've done everything technically correct, it still doesn't show any play buttons for their particular show. All of these things will will work themselves out, but ultimately, I think it's a positive step in the long run, and we'll see how it continues to grow. Hopefully, I think the fear is that just because something failed, they're going to take it back. They're going to remove it. I don't think that's the case right now. I think Google is doing things to learn from it, fix it, make it better, and continue to move forward. I believe what Zach is saying from Google, that they want to actually double podcasting audience listening. What does that ultimately mean for Google, though? That is really the bottom line question. And I think that's what the fear is when something like this shows up and it doesn't work right and there's something wrong with it and it fails, quote unquote. So I think that's the... The amazing thing for podcasters about Spotify is that they are so focused on us. It's the reason why we're all excited about Pandora opening up the doors a little bit too, 
because they are just focused on audio. All of the incentives for those two companies are focused on drawing more listeners to our shows. Their incentives and our incentives are aligned. Uh, when we talk about Apple and Google, those companies are both so large and podcasting in Apple's case, is literally not a part of their company. It is a service in some ways that they have provided or, or fostered, et cetera, et cetera. But like you've pointed out so many times, Apple has never made dime one on podcasting. None of the money in their coffers, this massive pile of golden hoard that they have in their Irish mountain or wherever they keep it, um, it's <laughs> none of it mountain. comes from podcasting. Well, don't they They do the double Irish in the, what they call their accounting practices? They run all of their money through Ireland like twice in different ways uh, because it lowers the tax burden. Anyway. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. There's like a, an office with two people, I think, that is basically processing all of the money for Apple in Ireland somewhere. By the, by the way, every I, I've I've watched the show Ozark on Netflix, and now yeah. I think everybody's laundering money. Everybody's so everybody everyone's laundering <laughs> every, money. Everybody's laundering money at some point. When you're rich, you don't call it laundering; you call it accounting. <laughs> oh, right, exactly. So, but but uh, none of that money comes from podcasting, and with Google. They at least have a more direct potential to make money from podcasting, and we know that advertising is a large part of Google's business. It's the largest part, probably. Uh, so what does that mean, and how do their ideas and um, you know incentives align with ours? And that's what makes us nervous, I think, about them. Will Apple abandon us? Will Google abandon this initiative again as they've abandoned other initiatives on podcasting in the past? I agree with you. I don't think they're going to give this up, particularly because Spotify is treading into some of their grounds. I think Apple's sort of the same way. I think Apple sees Spotify now as a potential real competitor to the music part of their business, which is still not sizable in that it matters actually dollars and cents wise for Apple, but it matters to the impression of the company. It matters to their brand that they be culturally relevant in being a big cornerstone of how people interact with music, I think. And so podcasting now is part of that. And and I think that they cannot help but double down in some way on what they've done. Same thing with Google. It's frustrating to us because it's taking so long to roll out. That's what it amounts to. If you look at right. these inconsistencies that, that James is talking about on this show, shows up with the play buttons properly in Google. This other show, which has done everything right, and they're in Google Podcasts if you have the app on your Android phone, but they don't show up properly in search. That is today. In six months, in eight months, in a year, whatever it is that Google takes out to roll this out fully, it won't matter and these will be showing up for everyone. It's just like with the Apple thing. They turned on those podcast pages and then turned them off and then turned them back on like two days later, <laughs> right? Like some of us got them and then they went away and then they came back. I, You know, they're testing things out. They're trying new initiatives. So don't be – look, and also – Google, you didn't pay Google anything for any of this. We didn't pay mm. Apple anything for any of this, right? We're, when Libsyn it goes down and you can't access your files because you've paid them, it's fine to get angry at them and send them a support email, right? Uh, as Spreaker, I'm a Spreaker host. If something happens with my files on Spreaker, then I'm going to contact support. I'm going to contact Amy Domestico or somebody else with the support team there and be like, "Hey, what are you doing with my show? Let's fix something up." Uh, that is not. That's not what's going on here. These are two companies that are trying some things around our industry. Don't panic because, like you said, you need to own your domain, and then it won't matter what they do long term completely. You can ride the wave one way or the other uh, and keep building up your little pile of folks that come and listen to you every week. See if you can get over that 175 hump. Nick, uh, <laughs> Nick, Nick has some very good questions uh, in this week's Hot Pod in regards to some of the changes happening at Google and Spotify. And just want to, I don't know if we probably don't have the time to dig into them right now, but definitely ask them and think about them. So assuming Spotify and Google indeed accrue meaningful podcast distribution power, should we read their podcast activities as competitive with or additive to the podcast world Apple has fostered? In other words, is this necessarily a zero-sum game? I think that's a very insightful question to, to give some thought to. 
The short one on that, I think if you look at the numbers from this past year, it shows us it's not, right? The the growth at Spotify in particular has been almost all new listenership. Will that be true over the course of all time? Probably not. I think there is a cap on how many people want to listen to podcasts, even once the technology is there for everybody. I don't think literally every human being will want to listen to podcasts on a regular basis. But the number is much larger than it is today. And a lot of those folks were introduced to the idea of podcasting or, or listening to podcasts anyway for the first time this past year through Spotify. I think that will be true for Google as well. I was talking to a millennial uh, just yesterday who was asking me about what I'm currently doing to make ends meet and asking if this is what I do for a full-time basis. And I was like, eh, just for now. Uh, and she asked me what I was previously doing. And I said, well, I, I used to work for podcasting companies and help podcasters make money, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, that sounds really cool. I've only listened to one podcast my entire life, which I thought was interesting because she is exactly the person that should be listening to a ton of podcasts at this particular point in time. I was like, oh, that's very telling. Um, I do live in Connecticut, though. We're behind the times. Is it possible to sketch a theory of the ecosystem that sees, quote unquote, big podcasting as separate from, quote unquote, open podcasting everything else? The latter, as perhaps mediated by Apple, is it possible for the two things to exist in parallel? I think it's definitely, they can exist in parallel. Will Apple be for open podcasting, everything else, and big podcasting be on these other platforms. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about it. Well, first of all, Overcast has already, I mean, Marco's already said he's not going anywhere, and anybody that wants to be there can can be there forever. He's, he's going to keep Overcast doors open, and he's going to keep doing his little shortwave radio thing as far as he's concerned you know like he that's that's if that's if that's what it is that's what it is and that's what i'll be that's fine um the open podcasting ecosphere first of all apple is never going to shut out independent podcasters from their directory and we're all already there now so that's not going away either uh what they might do is not do anything else right apple might not ever take the ball any further than they have it right now and that's what we're sad about because as these other companies sort of add on and perhaps grow the pie or bring new incentives to the table it might make apple's offering less inviting and less integral less central to the podcast ecosphere than it is currently i think that's the only potential concern is like will the rest of this space get so big and interesting that we don't want to play here anymore i don't think here will go away see in that you bring up his next two questions and and the first deals with apple how will apple respond or should they respond and if they do respond how specifically should they respond so it's so you've already talked about that and then uh, the last thing he brings up, if Spotify and Google do end up commandeering the bulk of new podcast listenership, what's the move for third party third party podcast apps? What new opportunities are they best positioned to pursue? Should they double down on niche communities? Because that is a great question. If you are a third party app such as Overcast or even Stitcher, which we brought up not too long ago, or any of these other one percenters, as Rob Walsh likes to call them, what do you do? If Spotify and Google are in this game and they're commandeering, you know, they get a large part of number two and number three in terms of the podcast listening pie. Is it even worth it for you to continue moving forward as a one percenter? So one of one way that they could could go and of course, the big companies could do this, too. Uh, you could effectively create things like PodFund, Right. And you could go and poach the best of the middle class and even the, the hobbyists and say, here's our deal for you. We're going to have some advertising offer opportunities. We're going to give you free hosting. We're going to provide you all these metrics. We're going to, you know, advertise your show on other shows or across our network, et cetera, et cetera, and grow your audience a little bit. Uh, they could easily do that and, and with that carve themselves effectively become record labels right like you could have the top tier you've got the warner brothers and the universals and and etc the top tier people and then you've got a bunch of little boutique record labels which would have a small housing a small you know um 
what's the there was what's the term in wrestling where you have oh a stable you got a small stable mm. of artists you know uh, I think I could see that as a oh my god too. that's the always listening music <laughs> well yeah no so okay but yes I mean I think I think there is a possibility that even folks like me could say okay well what are the economics and how many shows would it take for me to put the thing together to like eke out a little bit of a living and and then give all of these people free hosting and allow them to do their podcasting without expenses you know like it might it might not be a business for everybody involved in those groups but for some of the folks at the top they could make a business out of it and and then the bigger companies like stitcher for instance or overcast i think overcast could do a very similar thing overcast could partner with networks like relay.fm uh for instance and sort of combine and make this Voltron that would survive even in the apocalypse where the biggest money sort of runs away <laughs> into their own silos. So I don't, I don't know. I think there's a lot of opportunities there. And, and the most important thing to know is as long as you keep your domain name, <laughs> right. you don't ever have to worry about this going away. Like you can, you can move your little RSS feed into one of the companies that will help you make it happen uh, for the open ecosphere and continue your show no matter what you you want to say podcasting's not going anywhere yeah lots of good things to sit there and think about one last item of note here before we get into our recommendations of the week uh which is essentially a continuation of last week because we forgot to give recommendations and we forgot to talk about matthew berry but uh, new and noteworthy. This has been something that I've had on our list for a couple of weeks. We keep pushing it off. And ultimately, I got into a discussion on Facebook about new and noteworthy because it was a it was a it was a decent meme. I'm not gonna I mean the meme I, I got where the where the idea was going. It was a picture of people noticing that they were up on the big jumbotron at a game. And the thought is uh Everybody looks at the big jumbotron, they see you and they go, oh, wow, what a cool moment. And then you're gone and then they forget about you. And that was used as a metaphor for new and noteworthy. I want everyone to sort of understand. We can't go from one extreme to the other. There's a lot of new people in podcasting that believe that they have to be on new and noteworthy. It's a game changer. If they're not on new and noteworthy, all everything is lost. But the opposite is not true. Being on New and Noteworthy is still important. It puts you in front of a lot of eyeballs that you aren't going to get otherwise, especially on Apple, for instance. And while the two examples that I have in our show notes are talking about being featured on Apple, and that is the big, you know, the bigger ads that are at the very top of your Apple podcast store. It does show exactly how important it is to get those eyeballs on your podcast. Now, I, I also have seen this with paid marketing. If you go and you put a bunch of money uh, and you market your show, you're going to get a lot of extra clicks on your podcast and a lot of extra listens to it. If you don't market it again next week and you haven't done the right things in your podcast to get that new listener to subscribe to your show, to come back next week to listen to your show, to continually get that audience member engaged in what you're doing on a weekly basis or however frequent your podcast is, they're not going to come back. So you're going to see a big spike in listens and then it's going to drop off. Now there's going to be a portion of that audience that will remain anyways, even if you didn't do all that stuff because they get what you're doing and maybe they're already a podcast listener and they understand the mechanics behind this. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say is new and noteworthy is an opportunity to put yourself in front of a larger audience that can click on your show. That's the importance. It's not going to be something that's going to drive a sizable audience to listen to your podcast unless you have artwork that shows off your podcast in a proper manner, a good title that will entice the person that's never listened to your podcast. It gives them the answer to why. I suggest this to people all the time. Play the why game when you're creating your content. 
Why am I doing this? And when you answer that, you'll go, well, why should I be doing this? And, and if you can continue to answer the why, you play the two-year-old game, you're going to create great content. Why would I title my podcast this way? Because I want somebody who's never listened to it to continue listening. What words do I need to do that? What words are going to entice a new listener to click play on the show? They have no idea what it is. But the name of my show is called Next Fan Up. Why would I want to listen? We're talking about the NFL draft. Okay, that's part of it. Why else might I want to listen? Um, the Arizona Cardinals had the worst draft ever. That's got to be somewhere in the show notes, probably in the top because it's going to be too much to put in. All of these things will continue to lead you to market your show the proper way as long as you keep asking yourself why. And that's what New and Noteworthy gives you an opportunity to be in front of a, more people than if you weren't in New and Noteworthy. So it's important. It's just not as important as you think it is. And it's not as unimportant as a lot of podcasters these days seem to be, you know, oh, you don't have to be a New and Noteworthy. You don't have to be a New and Noteworthy. You don't have to be a New and Noteworthy, but it's still a very good place to help jumpstart your marketing for your show. It, it, so it, First of all, before we actually started recording today, Jay, you and I were talking about jobs and knowing people and like having someone speak for you or recommend you or having an in and a company, et cetera, et cetera. That is not the only way to get your foot in the door, not the only way to get started, but it is in many people's stories, the shortcut to success that they found by having a friend, by having someone they knew from their past, by having a family member, et cetera, et cetera, in the right place. But if you haven't done the preparation, if you don't have the high quality product to show for it, et cetera, et cetera, uh, I think about I think about um, musicians who seem like overnight successes, but they wrote that first album for 10 years on the road. You know, mm. they worked in honky tonks and bars and little no name places. Uh, rewriting those songs and culling down their list again and again and again so that the first 10 you ever hear from them were all gems. But that's because they had been polished in the diamond mines, my friend. Then they got to turn around in six months and write the next one, right? <laughs> and so, the second album is always horrible. Yeah, well, but that's why. That's why. And so, like, so, yes, new and noteworthy is if you're a restaurant, it's like having your billboard on the interstate, right? That's a great yep. thing for you. But if your restaurant stinks, if the food's bad, if the restaurants are dirty, I mean, if the restrooms are dirty, then that billboard won't matter because very quickly people will know to pass it up. Likewise, Jay, you said the artwork, you got to have the right artwork. If your logo is crappy, if it's like a zebra taking a poop, nobody's going to get off the interstate to go to your restaurant. You know what Actually, I mean? Actually, I think that would drive quite a number of clicks. <laughs> if, if your artwork is your face and it's nobody not, knows who the hell you are. Unless you're Paul Rudd, nobody cares to see your face. Nope. On the, the, you know, if you're a celebrity, then by all means, put your name in the title or put your mug on the image. But if you're not a celebrity, unless the point of your podcast is to become a known figure if the whole point is to brand no, yourself I would, then maybe I would say no I, not even in that regard certainly not until you have a sizable audience sizable enough that it means your face should be on the artwork your face should never be on the artwork never ever unless you're a celebrity and that's your brand then do it Yes, because you're going to drive more. Oh, I know who that person is. I'm going to click on that and listen to what they have to say. Oh, my God. They sit and talk about zebras taking poops in the in the <laughs> desert. I have no desire to listen to this podcast anymore. I don't. You know what I had in my head? I had the Squatty Potty ad in my head. It's a unicorn, though, right? Not a zebra. I was so close. Oh. So close and, and not far see, away. I'd be even more, see, if I saw a unicorn squatting <laughs> on a potty in artwork... I think that could get the job done. Well, it worked. It worked for that. I mean, that ad that ad agency sells like a course on how to build advertising now, and they use that as one of the examples of like, here's one of the things that we did, and people love is this pooping unicorn. You know, uh, yep. that that poop that poops uh, rainbow yogurt or whatever. I'm all in. Um, I'm, Jay, I'm, let's make tell that everybody happen tomorrow. 
<laughs> let's tell everybody what we're listening to currently. Uh, you referenced it. We're going to continue with the theme from last week. Uh, we've both been listening to some Marvel stuff. Um, I actually, this morning, was wrapping up this episode. Uh, my pick for this week is Smodcast episode 414. Smodcast, of course, a long-running show. Uh, Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier are the primary hosts, although this episode actually is Kevin Smith and his uh, co-host from uh, Fat Man Beyond, uh, Mark Bernardin, who is a writer and a, a comic writer and a film writer in his own right. Um, the two of them are visited by Marcus and McFeely, the two writers behind Avengers Endgame as well as Infinity War. They also wrote Civil War. They also wrote uh, Captain America Winter Soldier and, and Captain America the First Avenger. I think they had a hand in writing Thor The Dark World as well. Uh, it was really interesting hearing their start, by the way, uh, their their big break, and they they made a bunch of crappy stuff too. But their first actual break into Hollywood was the film The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, and then from there they went directly into the Narnia series. And from the Narnia series, they did a couple that were sort of stumbles. Actually, they didn't have a big success in the Narnia series, but they ended up getting fired from Narnia and ended up taking on Captain America: The First Avenger. And by the way, it took them six months to get approval from Marvel for their pitch. Like they went in the first time and kept going back in again to meet with them again. It was like six or seven months before they finally got the go ahead uh, to begin writing that script. So anyway, a wonderful story if you're a writer or a creator, but also if you're into the Marvel movies at all, it's cool to see behind the scenes uh, from the two of them in that episode. Uh, Smodcast 414, Marcus and McFeely make mine Marvel. Uh, we mentioned Matthew Barry had a cameo in uh, in Avengers Endgame, and then we never talked about it yes. when we did. What did we do? Like an hour of like we did a separate like podcast minutes, at the yeah, end of our podcast. Yeah, at the end of our podcast business podcast, we did a we we did a pop culture podcast. It was fantastic. Go back and listen to it. I highly recommend it. Uh, but we failed. We, we let's failed so, so let's tell him. So the slight spoiler: there is a scene where. I'm trying to think of how to say it without spoiling it completely. There is a scene in which uh, Tony Stark and Thor uh, are involved with a guard from S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, th Thor ends up um, restarting Tony's heart with the hammer. And the guard that is speaking to them was actually Matthew Barry. Right. right. Matthew Barry, the uh, co-host of the Fantasy Focus uh, football podcast, the 06010 at ESPN. He also now has a very successful paid-for internet show uh, with his new producer, uh, the Secret Squirrel, Daniel Dopp, whom I taught everything. He knows everything Daniel Dopp knows is thanks to me. Uh, and he's welcome for having the career that he now has for me leaving because that clearly would have been my spot. Not bitter or anything. No, not at all. Uh, always, uh, this has always happened to me. I always leave at the wrong time. But in any case, we joked Jay last week that uh, that the Russos must be big um, fantasy. No, we we I joked that uh, Chris Hemsworth was a big fantasy fan, but it was yes. actually the Russos. the Russos. Matthew Barry is yeah. friends with the Russos. Yeah, and they are big into fantasy football and. Uh, they offered him the spot, and I joked that it must have been for a spot in the man's league because off we did things like that. We we said, hey, you put us in your video game, uh, and you'll be in the man's league. Or there was an animator who actually got into a little bit of trouble because myself, Matthew Barry, and Nate Ravitz are all characters in uh, Brave, uh, the uh, the Pixar movie Brave. Uh, you can tell who Matthew Barry is rather easily. Nate's a little more difficult to pick out, and I'm a little more difficult to pick out, mainly because who the heck knows who the hell Jay Soderberg Pod Vader is and what he looks like. But um, but all three of us are in are in Brave, uh, which was pretty which was pretty cool. We're not our voices obviously aren't in it, but right. our our likenesses uh, were used in that movie, and and the animator almost got into a whole heck of a lot of trouble for it. That's but, amazing. In any case, uh, all of those things were done in exchange for a spot in the man's league. So the fact that Matthew Barry uh, is now a, it makes a cameo in Avengers Endgame, I'm wondering if uh, if John Russo, I think it was John Russo, um, now has like a lifetime membership to the man's league. I wonder if I wonder if actually he's taking my spot 
in the men's league since I'm no longer an ESPN. They need someone else to for everyone to compete against. I wonder if that'll be uh, Mr. Russo. So the thing that gets me, though, is uh, – and I, I mean, I knew this, obviously, but I hadn't thought about it. I was reading the article, and it's linked in last week's show notes, by the way, about Matthew's uh, cameo. He talks – I can't remember what um, – publication he talked to about it but one of the geek publications had an article about it um the thing that was interesting to me is you know the infinity war and avengers endgame were filmed simultaneously they were filmed back to back all in one Mm -hmm. go and that was like three years ago now almost when they were filmed and matthew had to be quiet about it this entire time and like even he didn't know exactly how it would fit into the story but he like he said in the article like six people at ESPN like his bosses a bunch of the executives basically knew what he was doing because he had to be gone from work for a couple of days and other than that nobody knew what had happened but every now and again one of them would go like was this the one you're in like you know a new movie would come out and they'd be (laughs) like is this the one you're going to be in I don't know and he's like no not yet not yet uh, that that would be amazing to me to be able to do something like that and then have to keep it quiet for that long like he didn't tell his wife that he was standing next to tony stark for instance like that's crazy kelly would kill me (laughs) so anyway uh, i suggest the marvel cinematic universe uh they've been doing the podcast for years uh and especially if you're looking for that water cooler talk they do a great job of uh they've done multiple podcasts like this where they'll do their own reaction to the movie Uh, And then they'll do uh, maybe a week later a feedback. Uh, So they'll gather all the feedback from their audience and share their reactions to the movie. And for this particular one, they mentioned they'll probably do like three or four feedback episodes uh, because they've had so much reaction from their audience to the movie. So if you like that water cooler type talk, you're going to hear people talking about things that maybe you haven't heard anyone else talk about because – I mean, there's just there. You're going to hear more ideas from more people. So the more people that are reacting, you're going to hear something that you didn't hear before, or you're going to hear something that no one else has said yet that you had the same reaction to. And now you have a connection and that's how you build engagement, ladies and gentlemen. So a great job there by the guys of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. On a completely unrelated note, but I just saw the headline cross my desk, Jay, uh, Disney has now announced that they are going to take full control of hulu they have made a deal with comcast to buy out comcast nbc universal uh disney is going to buy out the rest of that so uh, comcast owned about 33 percent of the company and over the course of the next few years they will be closed out disney will control it entirely we knew that this was probably the way that that was going to go in the end but now it's confirmed so disney will have two Entertainment streaming services, streaming services, excuse me, and then the ESPN Plus play as a sports play on top of that too. Um, interesting, interesting times as the media world continues to shift. All right, uh, Jay, tell everybody where they can follow you on Twitter and, and keep up with you and your work. I am at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter, Facebook.com/slash Pod Vader page. Uh, you can hire me uh, and do so quickly before Disney comes and shuts me down. <laughs> that's right uh folks i am online at propodcastingservices.com uh you can find my podcasts and all of my work there you can find me on twitter at the rogues life and until next week we've been your hosts i'm joel i'm jay still alive <laughs> and we are always listening yeah i know i ain't seen it all but i've seen Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Rayburn. Comes and I stop breathing. Will you bury me with my love? Will you bury me with my love? Cause if I never thought twice about dying, then this ain't no life.
Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.